Hello, it's Robert Bathurst here. I was one of the first guests on My Time Capsule, and Mike has asked me to tell you that you can now listen to the podcast ad-free by subscribing to Acast Plus. Details of how to join are in the description of each episode. Mike says it's very reasonably priced. In fact, Mike says it's a bargain. And who am I to disagree? Locked here in his cellar. Anyway, for a small subscription, Acast Plus, My Time Capsule, ad-free. Free. Unlike me. A lot can happen in three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello, and welcome to My Time Capsule. I'm Mike Fenton-Stevens, and My Time Capsule is the podcast where I ask various people to tell me the five things from their life that they'd like to put into a time capsule. They can pick anything they like from any time in their life, but four of the things have to be things that they cherish, and one thing is a thing that they'd like to forget, something they'd want to bury in the ground and never think of again. My special guest in this episode is the two Michelin-starred chef and restaurateur, Michel Roux Jr., Michelle was born in 1960 in Pembury, Kent. Coincidentally, the very same place as my son, the producer of this podcast. Michelle was there because his father, Albert Roux, worked as a private chef for the Cazalet family. After deciding to follow in his father's footsteps, he left school at 16 for the first of several challenging apprenticeships in Paris before becoming commis de cuisine at Alain Chappelle's signature restaurant near Lyon. Alain Chappelle is Michelle's biggest influence, he says. His French military service was spent in the kitchens at the Elysee Palace at the time of President Giscard d'Estaing and François Mitterrand. He took over running Le Gavroche in 1991, gradually changing the style of the cooking to his own. Classic French with a lighter modern twist. Michel opened Rue at Parliament Square in May 2010, and in November 2010, he opened Rue at the Landau, at London's prestigious luxury hotel, The Langham. Michel is a judge and presenter on the BBC's popular primetime show, MasterChef The Professionals, and has been a presenter on all three series of the Great British Food Revival. Michel also fronted the highly anticipated return of BBC Two's Food and Drink, and presented a documentary on Escoffier, whose revolutionary approach to fine cuisine has inspired Michel and many others. He presented First Class Chefs for the Disney Channel and Kitchen Impossible with Michel Roux Jr. for Channel 4. His latest series, Michel Roux's French Country Cooking, is out now on the Food Network and is available to stream on Discovery+. And in fact, we talk about it a bit in this episode. Michel is a keen sportsman and has run a ridiculous amount of marathons to raise funds for Victor, a charity supporting visually impaired children. 
He's also an honorary member of the Harlequins Rugby Club and a Manchester United supporter, so he's all right in my books. So, let's put our napkins on our laps, top up our wine and tuck in. Here is Michel Roux Jr. Bon appétit. Michel, how are you? I'm good. Let me just turn off the telly because that's going to interfere with the, <laughs> the, the, the morning news. Is not good for voiceover or whatever. Nobody wants to hear the morning news, especially not at the moment. Oh, it's depressing, isn't it? I mean, yeah, what what a life we're living at the moment. It's just it's just awful. <sighs> yeah. Well, not you, though, going off to your fantastic place <laughs> in the Ardèche. I have to say, oh, I watched the, I watched that episode. I've, they only sent me one episode, but I watched it with such jealousy. I, my, my body was going, no, I want to be there. So what, oh, one did they, what one did they send you? What one did you see? I saw the one where you go and taste the beautiful Grenache Rosé wine. Oh, yes. Oh. That was excellent. Sadly, I was driving. So I, 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 had, I had to spit everything. But I, I did take some home with me. And uh, and I actually didn't know of, of this vineyard. And it's only about 30 minutes away from my from where I live. Yeah. I, I buy my wine from another vineyard, uh, again, local. But no, his rosé is amazing. I mean, really. Fantastic. Really. Yeah. And you can look up the names of all these things, Candy, with the programme. You can, so if I wanted <laughs> yes. to try some of that, <laughs> which, which undoubtedly I do. I remember the very first time I had Grenache. It's weird, isn't it, in your life, how you can you can place wines at certain times. Absolutely. Yeah. I was in Australia, just outside Adelaide in, in a vineyard. Yes, yeah. And somebody at lunchtime said, try this. It's a really new sort of light mm. wine. And we, we got so drunk. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds like a good lunch. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. But it's um, it's a really lovely programme. I'm looking forward to seeing the rest of them. There are two things that I really love about it, Michelle. One, you have a fantastic yellow Renault 4. <laughs> yeah. Is that actually your car in no. France? No, 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 no it's, it's hired in for us. But um, I, I used to drive a, a Renault 4, so I, I knew how to drive it. It's got the gear shift on me and all that. Yeah. It, it, it's not the most comfortable car. If I'm honest, no, but it is fun. <laughs> it's fun, isn't it? I know. My parents-in-law lived in France, in uh, near Chateauroux, mm. right in the centre of France, and uh, we used to visit a lot. And I bought a little green Renault Four that I kept there for many years. And my son had this sort of um, romantic idea that we might put the back seat down and put a mattress in it and just go off <laughs> fishing around the countryside, which is, I thought, well, maybe we could stay in one yeah. or two hotels. Yeah, but, please. <laughs> yes. <laughs> but I loved it. And then I turned up one summer and my mother-in-law had sold it. I said, but it's my car. She went, no, no, I think it's mine, isn't it? I said, no, no, it's mine. Oh, dear. <laughs> Never mind. And the other thing I love about your programme is the fact that we get to meet Giselle. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and brother-in-law, sister-in-law. and yeah. yeah. It's a lovely element to it. It's interesting to see you because people would have seen you so many times in a professional situation. Mm. And that's also true in the programme, I think, that whenever you get in front of the stove and start cooking, Michelle, it's just it's such a joy to watch you work. <laughs> it is. It is. It's the respect you show the food that comes across all the time. Well, that's very, very important. I always say you can tell a, a good chef by the way he handles and um, uh, and looks looks at the raw ingredient. So, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, very important. Yes. There's a shot of you just very gently laying a fillet of fish into butter, hot butter and a thing, and it, it, it typifies your attitude to food, I think, mm. which is it's done with such care. It's almost as if you're putting a baby to bed. Indeed. 
Mm. Yes. <laughs> Lovely. And also, I've eaten at your restaurants a couple of times, and so thank you very much. <laughs> it was gorgeous. <laughs> Anybody who lives anywhere near London has not been to Le Gavroche is a fool. I well, think. yes. And, you know, we've been around now quite a long time, 55 years. So. Amazing history. It is incredible. It was your, your father and your uncle started. The That's right. Yeah, 1967. Yeah. Wow. When I was going around with people who wanted to show off in the 80s. Oh, yes. And there were a lot of people. But that was the, that was the show off. <laughs> Weren't there just? Yeah. A lot of advertising people who said, yeah, we'll just have lunch at the Gavroche. Yeah. Go, okay, fine. You're paying. <laughs> yeah, there was a lot of show off. That, it was that period, wasn't it? And it was. It was business expense accounts. And it was... Mm-hmm. It was yes, you had to spend a, a lot of time in the right places to be yeah, to, to clinch deals as well, and to to talk contracts, and you you would woo your woo them there, and and you would nab that big contract or big business deal over lunch. Yes, it's interesting though the number of those restaurants because there were lots of restaurants and lots of places like that that sprung up as a result of that, mm. and were supposed to be you know the trendy restaurant to go to now. They're not here anymore, but you still are. Yes, we're still there. <laughs> mm. And that's through all this, uh, it must have been awful, lockdown. Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, it was incredibly challenging and a, and a huge, you know, huge blow. And um, at survival of the fittest, absolutely. And it's still tough. It's still challenging. And, and now for different reasons, obviously. But um, sadly, I think there are still going to be some businesses in our industry that are going to go. Um, we're mm-hmm. still going to lose some. Uh, and not just in our industry, actually, all over, because of the rampant costs and the, the cost of living, and of course, lack of staff as well. We can't find the uh, can't find the staff. So there's huge, huge problems still in the pipeline. Yes, in my industry as well, and we're closely tied. Really, mm. I'm you yeah. know, as far as theatres concerned, oh. restaurants and theatres they just go together hand in hand. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, yeah, well, of course, yeah, theatres and uh, events as well. I mean, they, they they took the brunt of it as well during lockdown. Yes. First ones to close and last ones to reopen. Yeah, of course. Okay, so, Michelle, the idea of my podcast, which I hope has been explained to you, is that we talk about five things from your life that you um, would like to put in a time capsule. Oh, yes, yes. I've made a little list up. I've got uh, one definitely to bury, and then I've got one, two, three, four, five, six. I've got, I've got a choice of seven. Right. Okay, well, let's see what you pick as we go along. Yes. Okay, let's go. Where do you want the buried one? Well, I don't mind. If you want to get rid of it and say, this is the thing I want to bury, bury it and forget about it, I'm happy to do that. Right, okay. And let's start with that then. Okay, so the one memory that I would like to bury um, and it's not just a memory, actually, it's something physical too. It's a snowboard. <laughs> I would like to get rid of snowboards forever. They should be banned. <laughs> but you see, not just the snowboard, but also those that practice snowboarding. Right. Yes. Now, the reason why is because a snowboarder on his snowboard took me out whilst I was skiing. Uh, and broke my leg. Oh, no. Uh, this is going back, uh, oh, gosh, this was in 2000, so nearly, yeah, 20 years ago. Um, and it was it was a pretty bad break. It was a fibula uh, and uh, ligaments completely meshed up. So I had oh. two operations, a, a pin put in, um, and um, in a cast for three months. And so... I don't want to go through that again, and I and I don't want anybody to go through that again. No. I think snowboarders should be banned, and snowboards should be buried and never to be seen again. <laughs> and they are big, heavy things, aren't they? They're, they're going down the slopes at quite a speed. They go too fast. They're completely out of control, and even just hearing them behind you 
it gives you the shivers. And, and, <laughs> and, and nine times out of ten, they're, 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 well, they're just irresponsible mm-hmm. and they don't deserve to be on the slopes. So let's get rid of snowboards or, or turn them into ironing boards or maybe something like that. <laughs> but they should not be allowed. No. I did once take my son when he was about 14. He decided he wanted to go snowboarding. And I said, I think it's probably quite hard. He said, but I can skateboard. And I said, I don't think it's the same thing. <laughs> yeah, quite. And we went all the way, well, rather stupidly, went to Fort William mm. rather than to the Alps. And so there wasn't a lot of soft snow about it. It was basically ice, yeah. which even a really skilled snowboarder would have trouble on. And he couldn't, he couldn't do it at all. It was so disappointing for him. But, you know, he's never tried it since, so I don't blame him. Maybe, maybe it's because I'm, a, I'm of a certain age and I just prefer skiing, but, um, but snowboarding is maybe for youngsters. Maybe. But you're a fit man, aren't you? So, I mean, it, it must yeah. have been frustrating to be in a cast for three months. It was. It, I mean, it was very frustrating. And on top of that, I was training for the uh, London Marathon again and uh, uh. I, I was, you know... All, all my markers were looking as if I was going to do a, a really good time and I was feeling good and strong and, and yeah, and then boom. <laughs> it was on the glacier of uh, Meribel. If you know Meribel, the, uh, yeah, there's a lovely beautiful. glacier there. And uh, so it's um, yeah, just at the bottom of the glacier, waiting waiting patiently for the rest of the family to come down the glacier. And, uh, and so I was stationary. I wasn't even moving. Uh, and, and this guy just boom, straight behind me. <sighs> How many marathons have you done then? So I've run 21 marathons and ultra marathons as well. Wow, that's impressive. I'm doing the million step challenge at the moment, and I thought that was impressive. Well, that's good. <laughs> yeah, that's, yeah, it's okay. No, 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 no. Anything like that, any kind of exercise. Uh, and of course, the most important thing is to do it. It's not how much you do. Uh, and, you know, and to do it regularly and to do it at your pace. Yeah, because it's not easy in your profession to avoid eating lots of really <laughs> lovely, creamy, <laughs> gorgeous food, is it? That's right, and I, I mm. do uh, enjoy eating, and um, I, I have a penchant for butter and cream and cheese, uh, but it doesn't show. <laughs> because, no. Yeah, yeah, I think it's a you know, it's work balance as well, and a balance of life, and I think it's... I don't purposefully not eat or drink certain things i you know i don't mm-hmm. like the taste of cheap confectionery or 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 fizzy drinks you know the uh, sweet pop or whatever so you know i don't snack on them and i don't drink that i'd rather have a glass of water than a than a fizzy drink so um, mm. I, th- I think that in itself helps as well because sugar is the enemy for me I, i've always said sugar you know it's unnecessary and you don't need to have sugary drinks and you don't need to have sugary treats no uh, yes you can indulge in a dessert in an in, in indulgence at the end of a meal, yes, but, but not snacking on sweet things. It's, it's the worst thing possible. No, in fact, uh, I quite like a, a, a really tart dessert. Mm, yeah. Enjoyable. All right, let's take the snowboards. And, uh, well, see, I'm tempted to put in a, their own little slope and give them the chance <laughs> to do it there. Yeah, no, OK, OK. All right. So, But let's confine them to that slope and just say, skiers beware. And that will get rid of it and bury it. But you won't have to worry about it again, Michelle. Mm. Marvellous. Okay, let's look at the four things then that you'd like to keep. Um, I, I would like to keep and treasure this, and I, and I do treasure it, um, mm. the album Dark Side of the Moon by Pink Floyd. Now, I, I have got um, a vinyl, long LP, um, and the cover of it is just beautiful. It's iconic. Mm. Um, and the the music and the the obviously the, the lyrics it, it's really special. I grew up on it. I, I've listened to it probably thousands of times, and I still listen to it. 
So I've got the LP, I've got the um, cassette, I've got the CD, um, yeah. and I've also downloaded it. So, <laughs> so I, I've, got, I've got it on all formats at the moment. <laughs> but, but for me, the treasure, and, and that's, that's LPs for you, isn't it? it? It's the fact that you had that cover and you had a piece of art as well. Um, which you no longer get when you when you download something. You might get a little thumbnail, but but it's not the same. I think as a tactile, you know, vinyl. Yes, yes, it's a beautiful thing, isn't it? Mm. Uh, and, and we're not that dissimilar in age. I'm a bit older than you, but I remember going to parties as a teenager, and we would actually put that album on and all sit and listen to it, yes. all of it. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely, and, and yeah. So it was, it was a fantastic album. I mean, I'm obviously a Pink Floyd fan, but uh, but that one is is just such an iconic treasure, I think, uh, and will always will be. It stood the test of time. Yeah, it was it was groundbreaking at the time, um, and it's become a classic, and will will forever be, you know, there up in the, uh, the the best albums that have ever been produced. I think. Yes, I think you're probably right. Well, I think the sales demonstrate that certainly. Indeed, amazing. What I like about it, thinking about it now is the fact that some tracks just float into other tracks. There's not an end to them. Mm, seamlessly. Seamlessly. Seamlessly, yeah. Have you, um, well, I can't imagine that members of Pink Floyd haven't come to your restaurant and eaten. So you must have met most of them. Yes. Mm. <laughs> yeah. but, but, but no stories. <laughs> uh, oh, no. That's out of bounds. <laughs> okay. <laughs> what happens at Le Gavroche stays at Le Gavroche. <laughs> <laughs> Now, interestingly enough, the other week on this podcast, I spoke to John Tarode. Ah. And we did once, a long time ago, go on holiday together. And while we were there, uh, Nick Mason arrived in his helicopter. Mm. And then that evening at, at dinner, they had a competition. Him, the host, and Nick competed to cook the best tart to town. Wow. Mm. And? <laughs> Nick didn't win. No, he's a very good drummer. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Stick to what you know. <laughs> yes. Well, I'm delighted to put that album in there for you. Okay, that's the first thing you want to keep. So, what's the second thing? Mm. Um, it's a memory. Mm. So, a memory of um, the smell of caramel cooking. Now, when you cook caramel, how funny! I should mention tart tatan. Yes. <laughs> well, you would know if you cooked a tart tatan. There's that lovely smell of the sugar and butter that's cooking. It has a certain smell, um, and it's a very vivid memory for me of when I was probably only about five, maybe six, um, and my uncle was uh, practicing for um, his competitions to be the Meilleur Ouvrier de France in patisserie. Wow. So he was making sugar flowers and sugar sculptures, blowing sugar and all of that. And as a tiny, tiny child, um, I was in awe and fascinated by these edible, beautiful things that he was making. Um, and the smell, obviously, and the sound also, because when he was pulling the sugar, it was cracking. Uh, and and it, was, it was quite quite mesmerising as a child. And every now and then when something would break or a petal wasn't quite right, I would get the little taste of sugar. So it, <laughs> it, was, you know, it, it was quite quite something, and it's quite a, you know, a beautiful memory of my dear uncle. Mm. Is that who you're named after? Yes, Ah, there we are. Uh, both your father and your uncle, what extraordinary chefs they were. Mm. Amazing people. I mean, really, that French cooking in this country, you can describe them as the people who introduced us to it, I think. 
Yeah, yes. I mean, I, I always I always say, you know, pay reverence to the, the two brothers because they did start the culinary revolution in this country for sure. Mm. Um, and even not only trained, but inspired, a, you know, a whole generation or two generations to, to you know, get into the hospitality industry. Yeah. Do you have that skill? Have you learned that skill? Um, I, well, I, I always, always want to train and to want to inspire people into the industry. So, yeah, I, I think, you know, I, I don't regard it as a skill. I, say I, I regard it more as a duty as a, as a chef to right. um, train and to, to, you know, just keep it going, keep youngsters involved and uh, wanting to, you know, to better themselves and, and stay in the industry. Yes, of course, because historically you may well look at descriptions of banquets that were had, say, at Versailles in you know the 18th century, wow, and, yeah. and you'd, you'd go, well, look at that food. And it's, without that tradition, we'd be going, how did they do that? Mm, that's true. That's so true, mm. yeah. And it, and it is wonderful looking at the old menus of what they used to cook. And <laughs> it, 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 I find that inspiring too. So what's the most complicated thing do you think you've ever made? Oh, wow. Um, I suppose souffles are always tricky. Mm. And people do look at souffles and go, oh, my gosh, this is going to be so hard. And you know, so many things can go wrong. Um, so, yeah, souffles, I suppose. But yeah, I've, I've made so many now. I can do them with my you know, blindfolded and hands tied behind my back, probably. <laughs> yes. The souffle at Le Gavroche, is, uh, it's famous for it, isn't it? Yes, it's been on the menu for 55 years. So I've made a few of those. <laughs> <laughs> and I've eaten a few of them. <laughs> Hence the fact that I'm not quite as slim as you, but there we are. That's life. Okay. Uh, well, let's put your fantastic uncle Michel. Yes. And put his amazing talent and the smell. Mm, the smell of caramel cooking. Yeah. Caramel cooking. Ah, wonderful. Bubbling away. Mm. Okay. That goes into the time capsule. That's the second thing. What's number three? Well, I hope you enjoyed the starter. Delicious, wasn't it? We're going to take a short break to allow you time to finish your first paired wine, the Rosé Grenache. And while we do that, here are some ads. Uh, the toilets are the first door on the left. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Life is full of awesome what-ifs, and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Welcome back. Hope you washed your hands. Right, let's move on to the next course and discover what else Michel Roux will put in his time capsule. I'm going to go for 
my favorite car that I sadly no longer have. Um, and that is the Renault Alpine GTA, the um, ah. 1990 version that I purchased and um, absolutely adored. It was like a little, it was so low and light. Um, <laughs> uh, it was like driving a, a little go-kart, but, but a really, really powerful go-kart. It was a V6, but it was super light. The, the body was made out of fiberglass. Mm. Uh, so it was incredibly light uh, and very, very nippy. Uh, absolutely adored it, kept it for three years. Um, my wife uh, was carrying our dear child, so she was pregnant and did not enjoy it very much at the time. Um, mm-hmm. And then uh, and then when Emily was born as well, I mean, that was just fun driving her around in there. She loved it. But, um, but it, it wasn't very practical. The boot was at the front, uh, and you could put maybe a, a briefcase <laughs> or a, yeah, a wash bag maybe. Yeah. <laughs> there really wasn't much. <laughs> Talking of which, Mrs. Brew is just about leaving now. <laughs> there we are, right. shaking yes. her head, going, "No, no, uh, don't, don't tell him about that." <laughs> yes, not exactly designed for a parent with push chairs and nappies. No, no. not at all. Sad, um, isn't it? In fact, yeah, it, it, it really wasn't practical. But the most most amazing car, beautiful car, iconic. French car as well, uh, and Renault Alpine are now back in Formula One as well. So, um, mm. and they've just launched another um, road car as well recently. And, and I must say, it, it is beautiful. And I am rather tempted to purchase another one, but my wife says, "No, behave, <laughs> behave." <laughs> but of course, looking back now at all those things, the things that you've owned in your life that you you sort of regret having to have to get rid of. Mm. In a way, we would have been wise to keep them. Yeah, yes, <laughs> absolutely. Yes. If I'd have had, even a, if you just uh, put it in a garage somewhere, it, exactly, it, it would now be worth ten times what you paid for it. Oh, for sure, because it, I mean, it was it was an iconic uh, model at the time because they just relaunched it. Uh, mm. It's a beautiful, beautiful car. Thoroughly enjoyed driving it, um, and uh, not that practical for London. Um, because all of the speed humps and all that you had to take at about five miles an hour because otherwise it would just scrape the, the, the front skirt. And, uh, yeah, it, it, yeah. it wasn't, wasn't great. And I had these huge fat, I had, I'd chosen the fat, fat tires at the back and, and they, co- <laughs> they cost 400 quid every, every time you got a puncture. Oh, no. I mean, it was, yeah, it was, it was eye-wateringly expensive to run, mm-hmm. but, um, it was just a joy to just, just yeah. yeah, good memories. Great memories. I know. I had a Mini Cooper, one ah, of the yeah. originals, yeah, mm-hmm. uh, which I bought very cheaply, I think in probably, yes, in, in the late 80s, and I drove it around. I thought it was a fantastic car. Yeah. And eventually I thought, oh, well, it's getting on a bit. I ought to get rid of it. So I sold it to a neighbour of mine. He said, um, what do you want for it? I said, I don't know, you know, give me a grand for it. And he went, okay. So he bought it. And I went to a, um, a car fair the other week, and there were these Mini Coopers, and I said to the owners, uh, oh, I used to have one of those. And they went, really? What, the original? I said, yeah. He said, oh, great. What did you do with it? I said, I sold it to a neighbour for a £1,000. And about 10 minutes later, when they stopped laughing, they told me they were now worth 60 Oh! <laughs> really? Yeah, exactly. You should, you should have put that in the garage, definitely. Yeah. Well. <laughs> <laughs> uh, of course, all lovers of French cars are divided between the people who love those Renaults yes. and the people who love a Citroen, mm-hmm. love the, the easy ride of a Citroen. Yeah. And you're talking about not being easy in London riding the Renault. Mm. 
you know, if you'd had a, a, a CX, yes. well, those great big CXs, or even a DS. DS. Uh, beautiful cars. Yeah. Yes, now, I, I, I'm not a huge fan of the Citroen. I find them a little bit too sort of glidey and, yeah, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. Of, you feel as if it's just about to take off. Um, and no, no, I'm never been a fan. No, you think, come under control, come under control. Mm. I know. You turn and then it thinks about it. <laughs> <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> Brilliant. Well, I'm going to put that gorgeous-looking car. I mean, they are such beautiful cars, yes. the shape and the line of them. But that's true of um, of so many French cars of, of the past. I'm not sure that any car now has that sort of individual style that those cars had. Yeah, absolutely. You know, as you say, with the Renault 4 with the, you know, and, and the Citroën de Chevaux, with yep. the gear stick in the middle of the panel in front of you, all those sort of interesting things, just having a window that you could unclip and it, it fell down. You know. <laughs> I'd love the de Chevaux having the ventilation where you just... <laughs> just open up. <laughs> just open it up. <laughs> Very rudimentary, but it works. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> so, um, yeah, those things should definitely be stored and, and preserved. Mm. So beautiful, let's put that in. Fantastic. Thanks, Michelle. Okay, so that's three we've had. Three. So we've got one more. That's the last one. I'm yeah. I, I'm, I'm really torn. Well, I'm interested to hear what are the ones that you have on your list before you choose. Yeah, so I, I've got two, two Manchester United memories because I'm a Man United fan and things are not going too well. Uh, things are not going too well at the moment. No. There's a lot of unrest and it seems to be getting worse mm-hmm. uh, as opposed to getting better. But I, I've got a, an Eric Cantona shirt signed, um, wow. which which I treasure and love because I, I was a Man United fan before Cantona arrived, but he was a capitalist and and had such a such an aura around him and inspired, which is something which I am very conscious of and and. and you know, go out of my way to try and do for the next generation, try and inspire them into our industry and to, to show them the right way. Um, so Cantona definitely did that at Man United, mm. inspired the next generation. Um, I also had down the Barcelona final, 99, uh, uh. which I was uh, standing just behind the goal. No. Yeah, every time I see a clip of the goals, I see myself... <sighs> Um, oh. so, yeah, incredible moment. Oh, Michelle, have you seen the video that's going around on YouTube of somebody who was obviously standing, I think, slightly along from you? Yes. Yes, it's amazing, isn't it? Yeah. But yeah. their video camera goes up in the air and then comes Absolutely. up. Absolutely. So, it just, oh, it's incredible. That, that guy was about 10 metres in front to the right of me. Wow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it, yeah, it, it was a, an incredible two days. Amazing. Yeah. Because for any Manchester United fan, and I am a Manchester United fan, uh, that is, I, I mean, I can't watch that piece of that last five minutes of that match without yeah. crying. I yeah, cannot. I, well, I, I, yeah, I, we, I think we were all moved to tears that day. Um, mm. And uh, but but once the when the when the first goal went in, when I say first goal, when the first United goal went in, yeah, we all believed. We we just knew that's it. We're going to win. Mm. It. And uh, yeah, yeah it, it really was quite quite. <laughs> but not that quickly. Not that quickly. But we, no. we said, okay, extra time, and we got it. Um, yeah. So that that was on the list too, and uh, and then my my other choice, which I think I'm going to go for, uh, because it's food related and, and it really is something special, um, is a moment that moved me to tears whilst eating and and i've always kind of when people say that oh my word this food tasted so good i was moved to tears or i felt emotion i've always said well that's okay food is food can you know be 
be all about a, a joyful moment and, and you know and can can be a taste sensation that can make you you know arouse the senses and be very sensual and all all of that but i never really thought i'd experienced it until i tasted this particular dish well it wasn't a dish it was just one mouthful mm. and it was a couple of months well, just before uh, lockdown and it was with my wife uh, Giselle and we were eating at a restaurant called uh, Endo uh, at the Rotunda uh, so that's at the Japanese restaurant where the old BBC was at White City mm. and um, so it's a very very high end Japanese restaurant it's small it's all at the counter and the head chef Endo-san cooks and dresses the food in front of everybody and explains each and every dish. And there was one particular dish, the oyster nigiri. And I'd never tasted an oyster nigiri before. And it was just mind-blowing. And, and I looked at Giselle and she looked at me and we welled up. We, we literally welled up. The rice was just the right texture. It, it was cooked beautifully and perfect texture but it was also most importantly the right temperature and then the oyster had been very very lightly steamed but it still felt raw so it had that lovely salinity but the texture had somewhat changed mm. and there was a layer of flavor on there and just a hint of fresh wasabi and it, it's so difficult to describe but you just put it in your mouth and you just lingered on that flavor. And, and it was just like a, a, an adrenaline rush and a rush of emotions. Mm. And it, you just didn't want it to end. <laughs> and we just, we just looked at each other and we went, my God, this, this is just unreal. Just, just yes. yeah, and and we 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 still every time we eat an oyster or or, or Japanese food, we 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 look at each other and we, go, we must go back and and see Endo Sun, <laughs> uh, must go back, and, and and to this day that that is the best, not dish actually, it's the best mouthful of food we've ever had because it wasn't even a dish; it was just one mouthful. Now, when you think about that, I mean, when when, when you think. You know, we, we, as a chef, we, we want to create these beautiful plates of food and, you know, they're so you know, artistic and they look amazing. And then every mouthful you take can be different, can give you different pleasures and different joys. This is just one mouthful. And to get it right <laughs> on just one, one little mouth is incredible. The, 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 the skills involved and the, the, it, it just blows my mind. It blows my mind. Yes. Yes, well, the training for cooking Japanese food is so extensive, isn't it? It goes on and on and on. I mean, the, a proper trained sushi chef can spend years just practising knife skills, can't they? Absolutely, yeah. yeah. They'd say an average of five years just learning how to cut the fish wow. uh, before you become qualified. And then you've got several, it's, yeah, you've got several years of, of more work. But, uh, yeah, it, it's, it is incredible. But this was just like, ah. Oh. Mind blowing, mind blowing. Uh, mm. It's lovely you talking about these things because I'm sure everybody who's listening is then thrown straight back to a similar experience with something else. It doesn't mm. have to be that piece of food. You will remember those moments in your life, I think. And it's amazing that food can do that because yes. so many people go through life actually, just food is something that sort of gets in the way of their day almost. And it's such a shame, I think. 
that we don't have... Uh, the thing that I've always loved about France and Italy and Spain is that they give time for meals, that it's built into the day. Yes. Whereas more and more, we're, we're expected, you know, I mean... I don't want to denigrate the Americans, but they introduced fast food to the world, and it was a great mistake. I, I think so. I took my grandchildren to London yesterday, and despite every effort, and I tried to find... <laughs> I walked them for ages through a very hot London to take them to a tiny little British cafe that I knew was tucked away, one of those ones that still survives, yeah. a, a proper London calf, and it had closed, Michelle. Oh, yeah. That was yeah, a tragedy. Yeah. And, yeah. of course, we ended up with them saying, well, can't we go to McDonald's? And, oh, oh, no, I don't want oh. to. But do you know what saddens me, Michael? What saddens me most about that is that France is the second largest uh, McDonald's business in the world. Amazing, isn't it? So first is US, second is France. Mm -hmm. There's more money taken in France than anywhere else other than yeah. the US in McDonald's. It is incredible. Everywhere you go now in France, every little, almost every village has a McDonald's. And when you think they first tried to, to, to build them there, you know, going back 25, 30 years, they were burning them down. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and now they've taken over. It is incredible. Yes, the change in, in the culture in France is a, it's a tragedy, I think, really. Right. Yeah, you still I, can find lots and lots of really gorgeous little restaurants, little routiers that are just yeah. serve the most beautiful, fresh food, but not so many. Not so many, sadly. sadly. No, yeah. no it, it's true. Almost every village had a little bar and mm. it would often have a room at the back, which they use for, you know, events. And you would yeah. be able to get food there. The vegetables would be brought from the from the garden and you'd have mm. it would be very simple. But um, that, they're hard to find now. Very hard to find. It's a great shame. Well, all my memories of eating in France are joyous, really. I've had very few unhappy memories. I have occasionally gone to, more recently gone to places that, that in a way present themselves as being uh, top-end mm. restaurants and then are not. I went to, my wife and I went to what was listed in all the travel guides as the best restaurant in Enfleur. And you thought, well, there's a lot of restaurants in Honfleur. Yeah. This has got to be great. So we booked a table. We went there. And my wife had scallops to begin with. And they had granules of instant coffee sprinkled on them. Oh, dear. I think I know which restaurant it is. Okay. Yes. And let's not put people down in public, no. but, you know. <laughs> my my, my mum, she still lives in Normandy. Uh, mm. And she, I, I think I, I know exactly the restaurant you're talking about. And she didn't, she had a similar experience, put it that way. <laughs> <laughs> I know. It's extraordinary. But honestly, to begin with, she went, this is, this is instant coffee. And I mm. went, that's not right. And, oh, that's terrible. Mm. And then, of course, it became funny. And we laughed so much. And also with it was what looked like a, a foam, but was actually meringue. And it was sweet. So it was a dessert meringue. It was. Uh, I'm sorry to to describe these things to you. When there, there am I explaining how wonderful this oyster nigiri is, and you go and bring me back down to earth like a snowboarder. <laughs> <laughs> I've taken the legs from out under you. <laughs> right. Okay. Then I'm. Uh, I've got to go because I'm going to ring up Endos and try and get a table. Yes. <laughs> how fantastic! What a wonderful um, thing! It's really been lovely to talk to you, Michelle. Great to talk to you, Michael. No. I'm a great admirer of your work and your skills and your restaurants. <laughs> <laughs> thank you. No, thank you. 
Great to talk to you. Lovely to talk to you. Keep very well. I'll see you soon. Cheers, Michael. Thanks. <laughs> you have been listening to My Time Capsule with me, Mike Fenton-Stevens, and my lovely guest, Michelle Rue Jr. Thank you for listening. I hope you had fun. You can see Michelle's series, Michelle Rue's French Country Cooking, on the Food Network or Discovery Plus. But be warned, it will make you hungry. If you'd like to find out more about the charity that Michelle supports so dedicatedly, Victor, supporting visually impaired children, then there's a link to it in the description of this episode. Please do have a look. And please do rate this podcast before you go. And if you haven't done already, then please subscribe to it. You might even fancy leaving a short but sweet review. You can follow me and my time capsule on Twitter, Instagram and Facebook for details of what we're up to and, well, lots of other things. Feel free to get in touch and let us know what you think of the show and do suggest any guests you'd like to hear reveal their time capsule items. We're always looking for suggestions. This was a cast-off production for Acast, produced by John Fenton-Stevens, who also wrote the theme tune under the guise of Past the Peas music. It's available anytime on Spotify. Yes, John is a multi-talented chap, whereas all I can do is talk. And, of course, tell the odd joke. In fact, here are a couple of odd jokes to leave you with. Yeah, I went to Michelle's restaurant, Le Gavroche, and, oh, it's very classy. Before the meal, the waiter said to me, "'Would you like a peritif?' I said, why is the meat tough? And then when I ordered the wine, I said I fancied something from the Burgundy region of France. I was showing off, really. But he said, may I suggest you have a Macon? I said, why are you going to spill it? Yes, yes, oldies but goodies. Still, the meal at Le Gavroche was absolutely delicious. And with the tenth mention of Michel's restaurant, I believe I have now earned a free meal at his gaff. Yes! Ha <laughs> ha! He didn't think I could do it. He said if I managed to do it, he'd ring me and arrange a date. So I'll just sit back and here it comes. <laughs> yeah, any second now. He's probably had to wash his hands before calling. <laughs> you know what chefs are like. <laughs> uh, here we go. It's taking slightly longer than I expected, but um, I'm sure it's worth the wait. And of course, the extra wait after I've eaten that souffle. <laughs> here we go. He's not going to ring, is he? Bloody McDonald's again, then. Bye. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. 
Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.